Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 160, Completely Without Focus. This week we're discussing season 2, episode 1 of Battlestar Galactica, Scattered, and season 6, episode 5 of Buffy, Life Serial. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. So, uh, ESG, mm-hmm. beginning of season two. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, so we're picking up right where we left off from the end of season one. Um, but before we do that, you had some production notes? Yes, just very quick ones. Um Wanted to note uh, Bradley Thompson and David Weddle, who wrote the the screenplay um, and, you know, are returning from season one and, you know, returning to write, you know, the season premiere. So, you know, not mm. necessarily only Ron Moore doing those sort of big episodes, but giving it to some of the other writers as well. Um, and uh, this episode had an Emmy nomination for uh, sound mixing for a single camera show. So, um, you know, for what that's worth, again, not the big prestige awards we always would like for these shows, but you know, they get some technical acclaim. So, uh, you know, that's always something. Your sound was well mixed. (laughs) Kudos to you. Um, yeah. So, all right. Having said that, yeah, we pick up, pretty much exactly where we left off in the very same scene, in fact. So um, you can go ahead and start us off. Yeah. So basically I wanted to be, you know, all right. So the episode title is scattered, Mm. um, which makes it a little hard maybe (laughs) to talk about the different stuff. But I think um, as we've done before, I don't know if we've done this for BSG or not, but I think it, in certain episodes here and there kind of maybe take it by location rather than, mm-hmm. you know, try to go step by step through the episode. Cause it, it jumps around a little yeah. bit. Um, so I uh, definitely think we'll probably end up spending the most time on Galactica mm-hmm. and uh, particular, I think, you know, if we kind of go through it from Ty's point of view, mm-hmm. cause he seems to be the character who we, who, who, ties everything together um sorry that was bad i'm a little tireder tonight than i normally am so uh uh, please excuse those sorts of things but um bad punning can be expected yeah i I mean always but like maybe a little more than usual with more frequent frequency than (laughs) yeah um and yeah, so like starting with Ty himself, like I kind of wanted to talk through a little bit of the flashbacks because we get, you know, we've, we've obviously learned stuff already about his relationship with Adama and, you know, that they knew each other and have known each other for some time and mm-hmm. all of that. But we get throughout the episode kind of these flashbacks to their meetings, it, you know, I I maybe shouldn't make this comparison. Mm-hmm. And I know not everyone is as good of a writer as Tim Minear, <laughs> but there there are some elements of like the out of gas, uh-huh. you know, sure. uh, flashback to this. Although 
that one has more like a three layer yes you know flashback and and there's a little better interweaved i think yes um but that's not to say like i actually think the way that they do it here is very appropriate because you get like the flashbacks that he gets are for the most part very quick i mean there's there's a couple like maybe a little bit longer extended ones um mm -hmm. but especially right in the beginning what i do like about the way they do the flashbacks is that it it is very much you know he's there in the moment with you know adama having just been shot and you know chaos kind of erupting around the bridge the cic and you know it's just like this boom what's your plan right. and um which just occurred to me that maybe should have been the title of our episode because that's basically the beginning of the Buffy thing too. But oh darn, we'll ignore <laughs> we'll ignore that obvious missed uh, opportunity right there and just move on. Um, but yeah, like that, it, it's like that very quick flashback of like you know in the moment, like of all the things flying through your head, it's this piece of advice or question or whatever that Adama gave him. I don't know, 10 years ago, 15, mm -hmm. like however long ago it was. All right, stepping back a moment. One of the things, you can also expect me to maybe be a little less linear <laughs> than I normally am because I am a little more tired. But one of the things that um, I'm curious about is how old are we supposed to think of Ty and Adama in the flat. Yeah, so can because I like, jump in there or finish yeah. finish your opinion? No, no, no. No, no, please do because I feel like anything I say, one, you'll probably say it better and yeah. Um, yeah, my first note for this whole episode is I hate these flashbacks. I really like this episode. I think this is a really strong episode, a really strong season premiere. I think it's really well done. I don't hate the flashbacks in conception, but oh man, I wish if I could go back and convince them to cast younger actors. It like these okay. I, they have to they they have to supposed to be like 30 years old here, right? Like this is like before like they've been in the the fleet before as maybe as fighter pilots like as analogous to like Hilo and Starbuck and Boomer, so kind of in their 20s maybe like fresh out of the academy and now they're these kind of like okay their military careers the war ended maybe and they're doing like deckhand work but this is before right. they're back into the fleet like they barely have like you know lieutenant or captain status and they have to work their way up to being right. leading a battle star it doesn't seem like they are it seems like Adam is maybe a newlywed, so his kids aren't even really around yet. And uh, it just, it throws me out of the moment because I really want to be in the drama. And I just right. sit there and laugh at how like, you know, and that's part of it is, as you said, is they're relatively short flashbacks. So I feel like the only excuse you really have to use your main actors is if it requires that you want to be able to see the actors that are playing the parts, but they're so mm. short that I really don't think it would be impacting on the story at all. If you had some appropriately aged guys playing the parts. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like the drama and the tension would work so much better. Um, mm. So yeah, I feel like they want us to think they're like, 
you know, like, like Lee and Starbucks age. Um, and it just does not work at all. <laughs> That's what I was afraid you were going okay. to confirm. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's the impression I got as well. So, yeah, I agree. It does not work that well. No. The way it was um, actualized or, or whatever the right word is. Actually. Sure. Um, so, given that, we'll just, you know, call them younger, even though clearly they're, yeah. they don't really. It's like, put some, you know, trumpify them, put some fake hair on their heads and a little a little rug a little fake mustache um (laughs) i just that that shot of eddie olmo saying like i'm your new shipmate billadon like are you kidding me like oh my god right these are the oldest 30 year olds i've ever seen um and ty just looks like you know a washed up old alcoholic even you know like at fresh off of his first military campaign. Um, it's right. It's not great, but yeah, in, in conception, in theory and on the writing level, um, I don't think it is a problem. And I think, like you said, it, it works really well as like just that moment of ties having this seemingly random memory, but, kind of a significant memory in the moment of crisis you know of okay right. how, what do right. i what have i learned from from my friend bill adama now that i have to sort of hold the fort down yeah um so yeah so we get like that first meeting well we get you know like the question of you know what's your plan mm. and i forget exactly what he says uh Oh, personally, I tend to go with what you know until something better turns up. So, and that's what sets him in motion, right? Which I think from what we know of Ty's character and how much he looks up to and respects Adama, Mm -hmm. like, totally makes sense that some random comment that Adama made at some point (laughs) would be the thing that triggers, you know, sort of spurs him to action Mm -hmm. um, in, in this crisis, which happens to be that you know his best friend and mentor and guy he looks up to has been incapacitated Mm -hmm. um potentially killed um and then yeah so like later when we see you know a flashback we get you know ty being a drunk Mm -hmm. which yeah okay we already knew that but this is like Again, if we're assuming this is younger Ty, mm-hmm. like, like it's not just confirmation. Like, when we've seen Ty drinking and, you know, all that that brings on now, you can get that, like, this is, you know, that that's old Ty, you know, like, he's just run down now. Like, somewhere along the way, he got jaded mm-hmm. and, you know... Uh, became a codger and drunk and whatever. Mm. But like, this is, I guess, to show us that like, no, actually he's kind of just always been a drunk. (laughs) Like, like, you know, this was not necessarily something new and not just a drunk, but a pessimist and, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who 
doesn't really know how to take care of himself. Mm. Um, at least in that certain way. Like, you know, if Adama hadn't befriended him and sort of, you know, yeah, pulled him, pulled him along behind, uh, pulled Ty along behind him, then Ty would still be left. There, right. Which, right. you know, we, that becomes important later in the episode, right at the end. But, right. um, yeah, it kind of makes a distinction between like, you could before I've seen whether there is a distinction, I'm not quite sure, but I want to kind of try to differentiate like Ty the drunk who like hits the bottle a little too hard and is maybe irresponsible and, you know, doesn't always do things by, you know, what is appropriate and all this kind of thing to like kind of showing like Ty the alcoholic, like, mm. like even as a young man with his life and potentially career before him, he's already like, you know, at least for certain periods was living out of the bottle and, and washed up as a young, young in quotes man. And, and yeah, like that it would have his, his drinking and his pessimism and his inability to sort of take care of himself, like you said, would have been, you know, the end of his life had not, you know, Adama pulled him out of that situation. And that doesn't mean that those tendencies or the drinking goes away, but like, you know, it didn't end there where it could have, you know, but it kind of shows like that, how deeply ingrained that is. It's not like, oh, he's a grumpy old guy who lately has been sort of hitting the bottle a bit. It shows you how big a role these things have played in his whole life so far. Um. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the you know the other thing is like that they're the drunkenness and the Ellen connection because mm -hmm. like I feel like what one of the first scenes we see with Ty is him drinking and burning a hole. Granted, it's a different actress, right? right, right. In the miniseries and in, in the picture, but like you know, burning a hole through the picture, you know, Ellen, on, yeah. on her face, yeah. you know. And so there's right from the beginning that connection. And then later when, you know, Ellen is found and Adama brings her on to the Galactica, we see how bad of an influence she is and gets him drinking again. Right. So there's like, I, I feel like even though, even though we see him drinking without her, mm -hmm. there's still a connection between drinking. So you almost can get, you you could almost get like a subtle, you know, subconscious, maybe even hint that like his drunkenness has more to do with his failed relationship mm. with her than it necessarily does. Like, and, and that's why you could maybe assume that it's something that develops later in his life, like mm. maybe after they split up or whatever and not really think of it as being something that's been there since he was a young man. Mm, right. Young, young right. man in course. Right. Um, so, you know, but, but this sort of puts that to bed, like, sure. And, and also, you know, maybe suggests that the drinking is part of the relationship problems, but maybe it's just in a different direction <laughs> than, than maybe you're initially led to believe and that kind of thing. Sure. So, um, right. It kind of complicates all of that. Yeah. It might seem 
what used to seem sort of obvious, you know, doesn't. And I think like the, the, the drinking and, and his relationship with Ellen and his relationship with Ty are all kind of confused. And like, you know, there's Ellen's resentment of, you know, uh, his place in the military and, but his resentment of her life when he's not around too. So there's all sorts of, you know, back and forth, you know, and there's Adama's kind of wishing he didn't have the cup in his hand. So all these things are kind of, it's sort of like he has this relation, you know, he's trying to maintain relationships with like his military career and Adama and his wife and his drinking all at once. And yet those things all sort of detract from each other. You can't really, you know, successfully manage all of those things. Um, mm. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and of course you get the even somehow more drunk tie <laughs> uh, in, in like the room with like the woman on the bed. Right. We don't really know who she is. Like is she a hooker or is she she's just someone like he picked up at a bar, right. maybe both, <laughs> right. um, you know, like we don't really know what's going, I mean, kind of know what's going on there, but we don't, you know, know all the details. Mm -hmm. And like, he's sitting there like soaking his, you know, metals, you know, in lighter fluid, like very morose while he's yeah. sitting right next to him. Yeah. yeah like, uh, and literally is a split second away from setting them on fire when he gets this knock. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, not just, you know, it, this is Adama being the savior, right? Like, like this is clearly like, you get the sense that like, Ty wasn't being too careful about where the lighter fluid landed. Like mm. maybe he would have sat there and allowed himself and everyone else to like be taken up in the conflagration if such was the will of the gods, so to speak. Right. Um, and if not, then he would just keep drinking, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you get this knock and the knowledge or the information that, uh, you know, Adama, major Adama at this point, which again supports that much younger reading because you feel like from major to commander is still a rather, like it's more than a single step. Yes. Probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, at that point. And so, uh, yeah, he gets, he gets, and you know, he is informed by shore patrol who kind of like give each other knowing glances, mm -hmm. like, you know how ridiculous this is, but he just sort of was like, "Oh, Adama called. Cool, I'm going. <laughs> Let me get my stuff." Like, oh, I guess I won't light my medals on fire, <laughs> you yeah. know, or, or whatever. Um, so, all of this. I mean, I know, I know. We'll we'll talk about maybe the ending at the end. I mean, like the conversation he has with. Mm -hmm. unconscious Adama at the end but like I think all of that does sort of set that up mm -hmm. right I mean it's all it's all the things that you think of when someone you know is killed or or maybe you know potentially is going to die and and those sorts of things that you know those are the moments that seem to be the defining moments of their relationship mm -hmm. and it's all it's all one way, right? Like it's mm -hmm. 
Adama's the one asking him what his plan is. Because Ty doesn't have a plan. Adama has a plan. He's he's going to, you know, get back into the service and he's going to, you know, have a battle star someday and whatever. I'm going to have my own battle star one day. Yeah. (laughs) She was pop. I'm sorry. Uh, Sometime I'm going to stop making fun of those flashbacks. It very much is. You know what? uh, While while you were talking a few minutes ago, I did actually look up the Wikipedia page. And the producer, to to our credit, Uh the producers also were not happy with how they turned out. But yeah, fair enough. I I guess at at, hindsight's 2020. And apparently they had a lot more of them originally. Um, <laughs> and so like what we see is actually them cutting way wise back choice. On, yeah. On, on, on what, uh, what was the original piece? And, and this, I didn't know just since we're talking about, it. um, the whole, like Ty in his room, you know, drunken Ty about to scorch his medals, mm-hmm. um, is apparently an homage to apocalypse now. Um, mm-hmm. Which I've seen, but it's been many years at this point. So, like, I don't, I don't know that I ever would have picked that out um, had I not just read it on Wikipedia. Yeah. So thank, thank you, Wikipedia. Um, so yeah. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah. So uh, all of the all of that stuff we see is that the relationship is and. I don't think it would have been hard to come to this conclusion either, but now this is like all confirmation mm-hmm. of the sort of one-sidedness of it. And I don't want to say that Ty is exactly sycophantic, mm-hmm. but but there is a sense in which he is very... What, uh, Hero worshipful? Oh, oh, yeah, oh, oh, obeisance or, sure. or what, you know, like... Like, it's definitely along those lines. Like, yeah, hero worship, but even more than that, like, very deferential mm-hmm. and, and, um, powerless in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we say that he's not completely powerless because I think one of the points of this episode is that actually Ty lives up to Adama's sort of faith in him. Yeah. Which, which is not what you would expect when you see Ty alone in his hotel room, <laughs> you know, with the lighter fluid and yeah. uh, a drink in his hand or whatever, you know, like, yeah. you know, it, it actually turns out. And, and I guess the question becomes is, is that because, you know, Ty sort of has it in him all along or is it because, is it a chicken or egg mm-hmm. thing? Like, is it, does Adama's faith in Ty give Ty the power to, you know, fulfill the faith that Adama has in him. Right, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, 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 at, at, you know, what point, or is it just that Ty actually does have that in him and would have stepped up no matter what Adama believed, mm-hmm. but it's just that Adama sees it, whereas nobody else does. And right. who knows? Like, I don't, I don't think we're given a clear answer on that question, Right. but I, I do feel like the purpose of the flashbacks is is one to show the one-sidedness of that relationship, but also to show that it's not just, it. it's not exactly Adama, you know, picking up a poor stray cat either. Mm-hmm. Like, like there is merit to who Ty is as a person. And it's just, we don't know if that merit is inherent or if it's something that Adama helped instill in him. And may, and not to say that it can't be a little of both right, either. Right. 
Um, but, you know, just, you know, that, you know, that relationship there is, is sort of, um, again, something that maybe we could guess at, but now we have sort of that confirmation here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think not only does, I think it not necessarily be what you expect from the flashbacks, but I think he does very well considering what we've seen so far, you know, as he's in some ways in this episode, I'm not, you know, we'll, we'll have future episodes to see how it continues to go. But at least for this episode, I feel like he does better as a kind of emergency commander than he has as an XO. Um, you know, like we've had like lots of examples of, okay, you're XO, you're like second in command on the ship. And yet in the miniseries, it's Adama having to say to him, like, you have to step up and like make decisions. And this is time. Like, really? Like you've made it this far as an XO without being a, like a decisive leader. Um, how have you managed that? And we've seen all sorts of things of him being um, not a good manager of people, you know, which right. on the one hand, he says is kind of the point. He's supposed to be the hard, you know, the hard ass that they don't, that, that, that his subordinates don't like, you know, whereas Adama is supposed to be the, the soft, cuddly, you know, respected leader and everything so he might lean into that a little bit but i think it crosses over the line into do his subordinates really respect him all that much you know um it seems like they tend to snigger behind his back and not necessarily be that happy with his orders or you know um get frustrated with him or argue with him or punch him if you're starbuck like you know, he's not really the world's greatest, you know, uh, manager. And I feel like it's, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't say it's out of character necessarily, because I feel like these are different circumstances where different things are required of him. But I think it's definitely mm. a surprise when you get here, you're expecting this, you know, epic fail. And, uh, sure. and, that's not what happens, you know? And yeah, maybe right. it is. Yeah. There is that chicken or the egg of was this capability in him all along? Um, you know, what does that mean? So maybe he, again, I, I, I hate to judge too much based on one episode, you know? Um, but yeah. it, it makes me wonder if he's a better commander in this moment than an XO in a sense, does his relationship to Adama hold him back a little bit? You know, like hmm. if if he can't really advance anywhere, he can't grow into being the old man, he can't be the commander because Adama's the commander. Does that mean that these skills were latent in him and he never got a chance to really prove them? Or could he have been a better leader and he just couldn't be bothered to really work at it right. until now when it matters? Um, or maybe he was kind of a failure and Adama taught him some of these skills by osmosis. It's like hard to, like you said, it's hard to know exactly where the yeah. line is. Um, yeah. but he definitely well, does and, better than I think you're, you're led to expect. Right. Yeah. Everything that we've come up with till now has 
certainly pointed, yeah, to to the idea of, oh my God, if uh, Ty were to be the one in charge, things would fall apart. Yeah, yeah, go terribly. Yeah. Which sounds a lot like what people are saying about Trump. <laughs> oh no. Um, you know what I mean? Like that thing of like never Trump. Right, or, right. Like, never tie. Um, yeah, never tie. Uh, <laughs> so, but what I find really interesting about all this is that not only do we see that, you know, like Ty clearly looks to Adama for his inspiration and guidance and whatever, and that inspiration is what helps him sort of in the moment to like kickstart him into gear and you know do what he needs to do but he makes decisions that clearly adama wouldn't make Mm -hmm. in some cases and then some cases i think you know we can argue that he makes decisions explicitly because adama would make Mm -hmm. them and I think it's, you know, we can look at examples of each of those as we talk through um, the different stuff. But uh, sort of the first decision that he has to make is, you know, what to do. I mean, I guess technically the first decision he makes is to lock everyone up, right? <laughs> so he, he sends he sends Lee off to one brig and, right. and Boomer off to right, another. Right. Um, so that's like the immediate thing. Right. But like... Um, after that, like the first like big decision, um, cause those, those are easy decisions. Like Boomer just shot Adama, mm-hmm. lock her up. Like that's not a really hard decision to right, make at right. that point. Um, and Lee's already under arrest. So it's just getting him out of the way. Right. Um, first big decision though is, you know, what to do. Um, you know, now that like one, the Cylons probably know where we are, and two, oh yes, they certainly know where we are because there's a base there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of get the, you know, things being yelled at him and stuff, and he makes that decision to jump to new coordinates, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is like this is right after I believe the flashback where you get Adama saying. You know, personally, I tend to go with what you know right. until something better turns up, and so it's it's a decision, but it's it's that thing of okay, regulations. What do I what do I do in an emergency? We jump to our emergency coordinates. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's the first emergency coordinate? Alpha. All right, let's jump to emergency coordinate alpha, right. and everyone go now. <laughs> like right. you know, this this is quick. It makes sense. Like people know how to follow orders. I oh, I also find it interesting actually, and I know. Like, I don't, we may want to talk about them, you know, the characters more in depth mm-hmm. in a little bit. But um, you get Gaeta, I believe, mm-hmm. is the one who says, ties in command, and then to Kelly, you're his second. Mm-hmm. Which I, I find it's interesting that it's Gaeta who does mm-hmm. that. Because, one, I think it shows that he's in some ways thinking clearer mm-hmm. than everyone else. But also that's like, I don't know if that's like a CIC protocol because like, you know, there are times where Gata's like mm-hmm. in charge of the CIC when like right. higher ranking officers are off doing other stuff or whatever. So, I mean, it's not an order. Like he's not saying, he's not putting Ty in charge. 
It's more like no, he's, he's confirming what the protocol is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. He he's offering information for them to do their jobs mm-hmm. with. But I, I just find it interesting that like as I mean, normally it would be Adama Tai, Captain Kelly, Lieutenant mm-hmm. Gina, like like you know, Commander XO, Captain Lieutenant. Right. And now that's gone. And so but I just find it interesting that you're going down like those three steps full three steps before you're getting someone who's actually thinking clearly right. enough in the moment to say, you're in charge, you need to do something. Because I also feel like a lot of people in those subordinate positions, even if they thought that, wouldn't necessarily say right. that. So like they would just assume that Ty's thinking clearly enough to know that he's in charge now. Right. And not, not but like, to to Gata and to us as viewers, like we're seeing that that's clearly not the case. No, I mean that's not clear to everyone in right. the CIC apparently, but you know, it's clear enough to Gata that like Ty's not thinking clearly enough. So right. wake up, just yeah, state yeah. just stating that you know sort of helps him as well to yeah. to clarify. Oh, my role now is acting commander, yeah. so. I need to act because that's in the title of acting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's what I need to do. And, and for Kelly, I, Captain Kelly's an interesting character. I get, I feel like a lot of the purpose of his character, like if they were like in the room conceiving of who this middle, you know, management sort of guy <laughs> is that it would be to literally just disagree with everything everyone says. Because <laughs> I, I feel like every time we see right. him, that's all he's right. doing. So like, yeah. like, like I'm thinking back to like Tyrrell when, when you had the fires and Tyrrell was like, let me go in, give me 30, 45 seconds to go in and rescue my people. Right. And he's no, 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 no. Right. No. And again, and, it's Ty who has to make a call one way or the other. Right. Yeah. And then you get, and Ty makes the call, but it's Kelly who's the one resisting right. and Ty goes, with the higher ranking person like that's right. you know what i mean which totally ma- like with ty's personality that of course makes sense right. your superior commander told you you know gave you an order and so now follow yeah. it um and then this time around it's gata that kelly's like right no we can't do this because adama would never do it blah blah, blah. Right. right and you know that seems to, and ty goes the other way this time mm-hmm. and and um Anyway, so yeah. so sorry. So my whole my whole before I got into that, but stuff, I have things about whole, the, all that I want to say. But I know, I know. I'm sorry. I just I just want to finish this thought. So with you know with Ty, um, like I, I I just now I kind of I think I lost my train of thought though because I did probably go on too many tangents. Um, with Ty, that that kickstart and and jumping into mode like that that first decision big decision he makes is um you know to go to jump you know to do the thing that you know it's just protocol like this is what we do when Cylons appear but of course he makes a big mistake and Mm -hmm. that's where they end up jumping to a different set of coordinates than the rest of the right so right all right what's your what are your I hope I remember everything because you said a bunch of really Um, good things in there that made me think things and so hopefully I can remember but um yeah uh I never thought of it that way of uh what Gata says being 
like a wake up call to his superiors. Like, mm-hmm. like any, and it's in a very non confrontational way. It's not, which is maybe why I didn't think of it. It's not presented mm-hmm. as I'm your subordinate telling you what your job is. It's just, it's just confirming what people should know, but they need to hear it, you know, because right. they're, they're in the fog of the emergency of what's just happened. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think Gaeta's job is maybe to be that, not the person at the top thinking the most theoretically, but being the guy who makes it work in the right. CIC. And right. it's his job, you know, uh, to keep everyone on track with the practicalities of, okay, what's the command structure now? What do we have to do? Oh, crap, silence are coming. So these decisions have to happen immediately. Um, yeah. And I like even the way even though he's being clear headed in the way he's thinking everything through, you still get that sense of he's not immune to the panic of what's happening, which is how you get things like steps being missed, you know, of, Oh, we Mm. should have sent out. I forgot. I haven't done yet the thing I need to do and send the coordinates, you know? So that's on tie for not double checking, but it's on Gata too for, misremembering that he hadn't completed you know the job from before and so you can see how in the the Mm. you know craziness of what's going on like d says later um it's you know an understandable mistake but that's how things get sort of you know shorthanded um yeah so and then yeah with kelly I see what you mean about him being the guy who comes in to argue with everybody. But I think that's interesting because he is kind of an outsider to the CIC, which is interesting given that he is apparently third in line after Adama and Ty. Like, I don't think we've really seen him since the miniseries. Um, It's like he has... Yeah, like... Like bits, like, like he might have had like one or two words. If, if that, that. Said, but, so I yeah. feel like whatever his normal day job is, it's like it's one of those quirks of hierarchy of okay, technically you are highest ranking, so you're third in line, but your his day job, whatever it is that he's in charge of, is off somewhere else. You know, there's some other branch of the battle star that he's running or some other job that he's doing that he's not. So in that way. He outranks Gata, but is he as competent as him in the CIC? I don't think so. You know, he's not necessarily the first one to to snap into what we need to do. I mean, granted, he just got there. Um, but he's also, like you said, like, you know, he resists the, the you know, he, he doesn't, take the advice of, or seem to necessarily respect the advice of his subordinates, whether it's Gaeta or Tyrrell, who are really, you kind of get the impression they're the ones like in the trenches doing a lot of the work, um, you know, and then Kelly sort of swans in occasionally to tell them how they're wrong, you know, <laughs> um, which maybe he's very good at his job too. It's hard to tell since we hardly ever see him. Um, but yeah, I feel like his his role is kind of an outsider within the group. It makes sense to me that then he disagrees with everybody because like for better or worse, he's not really working with them that closely. 
So he has a different perspective on things. Um, and maybe it's, yeah. maybe it's a progression with Ty that rather than go with the highest ranking officer, because that seems like the obvious choice is that this time he thinks about it and, you know, and doesn't do his Ty argument thing. He just listens to their opinions, doesn't say anything. He thinks about it. And then he chooses, you know, the plan that he thinks is better. So maybe that's a step mm-hmm. in, you know, up from the more reactive decisions back in the mini series, you know. Um. Sure. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think because I feel like he has been in a number of episodes, you know, other than just the miniseries, but may, like I, I'm, I, I can't say that I can think of any others that I've seen him in. So, yeah, you know, if he has, I guess I'm, I'm not, not real sure. Um, yeah. Anyway, like, I do feel like, like. I, and because we don't really see him much, it's hard, it is hard to say what his role is. Like, maybe he is in the CIC all the time. We just don't see him. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that could, because there's like, like, who do we see? We see Gaeta and D and Ty and Adama mm-hmm. and then the occasional pilot or whoever happens to be in there. But, you know, there are other people there. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just kind of around doing their thing. And, you know, maybe that's... sure the intent with captain kelly maybe i i i, I, I just feel like know. at some point they do confirm that like he has another role but i can't remember what that is so we'll have to keep an eye out for it to see if they ever do one way or the other yeah. um and fair enough you know um yeah i'm just saying like i could swear that i saw him doing other things like in other episodes or whatever, but like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I I can't pick out anything right. specific. Um, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do. I definitely feel like when we have seen him, when he has been uh, a character, it's in conflict mm-hmm. with usually with a subordinate and it's always the, you know, having a different opinion mm-hmm. than, you know, the subordinate he's with. Anyway. Um, now, so all of that, like we're 42 minutes in and we've gotten about a couple, a few minutes into the actual episode. Um, so, okay. The problem. So the Galactica ends up in a different spot than the rest of the fleet. The problem being that they were supposed to, they like apparently, for whatever reason, I don't know that we're given a a real in depth reason, but for whatever reason, the Galactica is the ship that needs to calculate like their new positions based on like inertial drift and blah blah blah. Right. Um, maybe just because they have the biggest computers and can do it better than you know anyone else or maybe right. maybe and to make sure everybody right. ends up in the same place we need direction yeah. coming from one right like yeah. that's what i was going to say like maybe rather than ha- you, you know 
maybe different ships have different, you know, like the computers have different floating point numbers in their calculators. And so, you know, they would, they would end up being, right. you know, small jumps, it wouldn't be that big a deal, but if they're jumping far away, then, you know, just the distance right. magnifies any difference that they would have. And so it's better to just have a set of coordinates from one computer mm -hmm. rather than everyone doing it. But then of course you have to make sure that they get distributed and apparently they didn't. And so that's Oops. what happens is Galactica calculated new coordinates, um, but did not share them with everyone before jumping. And so now everyone else is in a different spot. Right. Um, here's my, so to get, to just air my issue yeah. with the, with the main plot. Uh -huh. um, and this isn't the first time that I've had sort of a technical issue with the plot of the issue. Probably won't be the last. Yeah. Um, I'd be surprised. I feel like any computer that is sufficiently able to calculate those sort of astro-navigational mm -hmm. uh, coordinates and all of that would be able, would have like some sort of way of some sort of like error correction mm -hmm. capabilities of like saying, oh, what if we, what if we were to have put in these coordinates instead of the ones that we actually did, you know, where would that take? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it would, it would, like, it seems to me that given the, even the 40 years, like, given how much has changed technologically in our own world in the last 40 years, mm -hmm. we're talking the 70s, mm -hmm. right, to now, mm -hmm. you know, just in terms of GPS, smartphones, internet, you know, yeah. all of that type of stuff. Like, I feel like a, a society which already has, like, faster than light travel yeah. would have, like, figured out that problem <laughs> in, the 40, in the 40 years between the last Cylon War and, right. and this right. period. Um, would have would have figured out a way to say, oh, what if we use the last calculation instead of the one we just used? Right. Um, especially on a military ship where all of that stuff you would think would be like automatically logged, and, right? Right. You know, kept in there. And so, rather than having to jump back to the point mm -hmm. where they just were to recalculate from there, where they need to go. Like they would just like triangulate right. instead right. and and figure out the right place. That said, of course, then you wouldn't have the uh, uh, the whole episode intense, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the intense, uh, dramatic, yeah. you know, frontal uh, assault from the Cylons right. to really test Ty's metal. Um, so to speak. Right, so, right. like, I get why, from a dramatic perspective, yeah. this makes sense. It just doesn't make sense from like a technology. Sure, and I think that's uh, it's occurring to me that all of those frustrations, I think, all come from that conflict between them wanting to have futuristic technology yet also seem old timey. You know, and and I think sure. that's a charming. I think that's a really charming thing, and makes this show like really unique. Like, I don't know. Maybe Firefly is the only other one that really tries to do that. Um, but... I would argue Firefly does it much better. And that's but. neither here nor there. I'm saying, like, I, I don't... <laughs> that's the only other show I can even really think of or sci-fi that really tries to 
walk that line. I, but I think I that say, results, you know, sorry. at least in BSG, I think that I, I, I like that balance, but it does present some problems. And I think, yeah. you know, I, there's, I don't know that there's a real good defense for them. At least I, you know, maybe the writers have one. I certainly don't. Um, yeah. Mostly I like I mean, it. They, and I think I care so little about stuff like that, that it doesn't really get in my way, but I wouldn't disagree with you that Firefly maybe walks that line more delicately. I don't know that Firefly I, tries as hard to get into the technical nitty gritty. So I think it, when, when BSG goes there, it's more obvious that it kind of makes no sense. Um, whereas I think Firefly just mashes those things together and, and just kind of accepts that they, and doesn't really try to convince you of how they should work really. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking of things like, well, one, Firefly doesn't have faster than light travel. Sure. Right. So, sure. so it's, you know, that's one different. So it's, you know, when you get like, like in out of gas to bring that up mm -hmm. again, which I will always bring it up anytime <laughs> I can. Um, you know, so when you have like Kaylee trying to, you know, jerry rig the, right. you know, motor, it just, it feels like, it's just like a newer model of a car right. that you're trying to like tap on the engine to get it to go kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't really feel that different. But here where you have like, where the whole premise is that you have a computer that is good enough to calculate, you know, these extraordinarily complex calculations and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, make sure that you're not about to jump into a sun and account for inertial drift and this and that and the other thing. But then it can't like do a simple triangulation of, you know, what if I use these coordinates instead of these ones? Like that just seem that seems to me like just either lazy thinking mm. or in intentional, like sort of willful ignorance on an easy solution that could get out of the problem that we would much rather rather put them into the problem for sure. You know, character development or whatever. And I'm not like, yeah, I feel like whenever I make these sort of things, cause I know I did this a number of times with Dr. Who as well. Um, and I, I mean, there's probably similar issues you could bring up for Buffy and Angel, mm -hmm. you know, um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to make too much of it. Like I still like this episode. Mm -hmm. And I think from a character perspective, there's a lot of good stuff with Ty in particular, but also, um, you know, other characters and stuff. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hammer on it too much. I mm -hmm. just want to point it out. <clears throat> but anyway, that's what they did. They had to go back. Uh, Gata uses his genius to come up with a, a way in which he can create a firewall, which somehow like three bars of soap lined up in the bathroom. Right. Gives him, right. It, this is like his Eureka right, moment. Right. You know, this is, uh, Edison as a patent clerk saying, oh, what if I did yeah, this? Yeah, the light bulb literally um, goes over the head, yeah. You're right, yeah. right. Uh, you know, so, oh, I'll just create a software firewall in 30 seconds before I go back. Sorry, I'm making <laughs> more criticisms. Um, well, I think, I mean, to defend them a little, I think time is supposed to have passed in between those cuts. I'm not sure exactly how long. Um, but yeah, that's 
Fair quite enough. a lot of and, work to get done in a and, short amount of time. It may be that like there's already military grade firewalls installed. It's just they don't need them because nothing is networked. Right. So like he might already have access to that, you know, right. stuff. Right. Like it it may not have to be something where he's like coding it wholesale. Right. On his own. Right. You kind of see when it goes back. He has little like tech manuals spread around. So it's sort of like. All right, let's install this system that yeah. we've never had well, to use that we have lying around. Stuff like and, that. And and just to talk about Gaeta's character, you know, in general. Because one, we do know that he has like a science right. training, you know, somewhat of a science training background, right? That's why he's selected to be Baltar's assistant. Mm -hmm. And like we see like, oh, yeah, he's he can go in. But compare how long it takes him to set up a firewall that can block the Cylons mm -hmm. who have infiltrated literally every other Battlestar mm -hmm. and military ship and civilian ship out there right. with the amount of time it takes him to like sharpen an image of Baltar <laughs> in, you know, that Shelly right. brings on a disc. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, like it takes him like over a day or something, or at least like many hours right, right. to like, to like, sharpen this right. image a little right. bit enough to see whether it's Baltar or not. No, I mean, your point, I think that's an issue with the show is, is technological advancement seems to be very on demand with what's needed for the episode. Right. Which is, um, I think, totally fair. So, but that said, again, like maybe there is an explanation that like, maybe it's not that he has to create the software. It's just, he, he has to like pop in the right disc right. and, press install and you know quickly learn how what the different configurations are that he needs to bring right and uh, and on on that too is i think it that's part of what is effective about it is you see how quickly they're hacking it anyway so like you do get that sense of well crap they can this if there's four layers right. that's what the bars indicate is how many layers to it is like it basically a two minutes per bar and they're through each yeah section of you know the firewall so one more criticism. okay if if i if i may um why not uh uh during the cylon attack it seems that Gita's only purpose is to be a countdown of <laughs> to, how many firewalls so when we're gonna die know, they yeah. have reached oh they've reached the first firewall thank you commentator right. of this battle um no but i think that goes along enough. too with it um being the guy to count if down with he's the, the communicator and and he's giving information to yeah i'm and yeah like, like i tell you stuff and then you tell me what yeah. to do about it you know but yeah it is that kind of thing of like you know here comes doom and gloom uh you know how quickly are we to annihilation and i did just think of a better example of, of another example maybe of the high tech and you know, low tech, it would be Star Wars, of course, because mm -hmm. you have like, you know, uh, the Millennium Falcon, which is like, you know, like Han Solo walks in the cockpit and like turns things on and they have to like pound on the wall to like right. get it to start up, you right. know, that kind of right. thing. But anyway, all right. So, uh, yeah. So 10 minutes later, after we've moved <laughs> about five more minutes into the episode, um, Okay, so uh, let's see. On the where, like, where do we go next? I guess maybe 
as far as Ty goes, mm-hmm. like his decisions that he makes, like uh, the decision, like so again, like the decision to allow the computers to be networked against you know Kelly's objections, against what we know would be Adama's objections. Yeah. Um, but in the necessity of having to return to the fleet, mm-hmm. and and coupled with the suggestion that Gata makes of you know, that this will severely decrease the amount of time that it takes to make the appropriate calculation. Uh, he says, okay, let's do it. Let's network the computers so that they can, pro- you know, I guess like there's like a distributed thing going on here where they can process stuff faster. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, let's do it. We'll send out all of our things. But that precipitates new decisions, right? Because mm-hmm. now... Uh, well, one, yes, he goes to interrogate Mm. Moon. Sorry, even before that, I guess, I I forget exactly when in all of that he goes and changes. Right. Uh, and talks to Ellen. Right, right. Um, who is being Ellen. Yeah. Um, No, I think you really see how she is really the voice of his ego, you know, and, and it's not, we've seen a little hints of it, of her kind of eyeing all the political elite, you know, in the last season of, of, okay, how can we get in with, you know, the people in power and everything. But yeah, she's telling him all the things you think that Ty is going to indulge in in this episode about how it's your ship and, you know, like, you know, this has barely happened and, and she's already got, you know, them up as, you know, yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Commander of, of the fleet. And, you know, and meanwhile, you know, bust some people down to the ground because you can, you know, because they made yeah. mistakes in a, in a high pressure situation, which is interesting yeah. that Ty goes the other way, you know? Um, sure. Yeah. And how forgiving he is of Gata. And not right. only forgiving, but praises yeah. him. Uh, and as far as, like, you know, when Gata says, oh, man, I wish, you know, Baltar was here. Right. You know, just because he seems to have, you know, more experience, more right. capability, whatever. And Ty says, I'd, I'd take your work any day over that, you know, so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, I forget the exact phrase he uses. But, you know, it's not a nice one. Right. And so... Right you know, definitely, which is interesting because that, that is definitely Adama's influence yeah. as well. Um, as far as like you pointed out before, like Ty is typically of the, I'm the XO. So, you know, that's my job is to make people hate me, but he's not the XO now. He's the commander, or at least the acting commander. Yep. And so his job isn't, to be the guy people hates he's he's got to be the one people respect right and how do you do that well yes sometimes it's by being tough but it's also by encouraging Mm -hmm. making tough decisions and you know doing it in a way that's effective and maybe not pristine but you know at least works in the end you know um Which he does a pretty good job at overall. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Um, 
and he has to like like I think you're right like that Ellen is sort of the voice of his ego because that's precisely what he needs to jettison Mm -hmm. is his ego and her you know like you know as part of that not her but like her advice or her words you know what I mean like in that in that moment he has to get rid of that um and also like her urging of this is your opportunity to basically take over Mm -hmm. as the commander and whatever um you know she she says you know oh it'll be your ship if adama dies but you'll kind of get the i mean maybe this was me reading into it but you kind of get the implication of like she's saying so let him die right Right? or at the very least hopefully that's what will that's a that's a that's not a bad yeah. scenario in her in her thinking. Right, yeah. which which if that's how you're thinking, then you might be thinking like, well, maybe we don't need to do much to like keep him alive. Mm-hmm. But you know, Ty's decision is of course you know, one, the doctor's not there, so it's certainly a real possibility, but he doesn't like like he doesn't give in to the idea of like, well, we only have a medic and she, you know, since she's not a doctor, like she can't do it. He tells her to do what you can and, you know, orders her to operate on Adama to stop the bleeding. And, Mm -hmm. but does, you know, but again, it's not, it's not, I'm the XO and you need to do what I'm telling you. Like there, there is an element of encouragement there of, you know, you're the only one. So, Mm -hmm you you need to make it happen but you know it is an order but it's not like it's not i don't know it's not like the harsh order that right. he normally has right it's right. the you know adama needs to live you know so do everything you can to yeah. make that happen um because you're the only one who can yeah um yeah which is interesting when you come back around to the decision to do the networking and do the thing that adama wouldn't want because the own doing the thing he wouldn't approve of is the only way for them to save him you know if they go about it in sure. the kind of expected way he won't make it so they have to sort of you know it forces them to sort of do think out the box outside the box of what they normally would consider and to take and, a bigger risk than they normally would and it's interesting too so one of the things that i don't think ever I'd have to think about this and go back and watch it again. But I don't think... Because he doesn't tell Ishe or whatever her name mm-hmm. is, the medic. Like, he doesn't tell her what's going on. He just says, Doc Cottle won't it's be gonna, Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, it'll it's going to take while. a long time. Yeah, yeah. Like, he doesn't tell her, like, oh, yeah, the fleet's, like, completely somewhere else. Which, you know, again, like... I, I Well, not again, but, like, I just... I don't know if that's, like, intentional on his part. Like, is he does he not want to like overwhelm her Mm -hmm. with information so that she stays focused, Mm -hmm. you know, in this episode called scattered where you need a little focus. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Or is it just, is it like his nature, like to just not tell anyone anything that they don't like, you know, is this just his operating procedure to just be like, you know, uh, as you need information only kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Um, and like, I don't, I don't even know, 
I don't even know who knows outside of the CIC about this stuff. Like it's only right. ever talked about in the CIC. Like I don't even know like when he goes to get Lee, does Lee even know like what's going on at that point? Cause like they jump back and like, right. like, or does he just know that like they need to fight off the Cylons until we can make our jump. Right. And not necessarily know the reason behind it and that kind of right. stuff. So like, yeah, I don't know. That, and that's neither here, here nor there. It's just, you know, <clears throat> and it's hard to say even if, if they don't know, like, is that intentional or is it just Ty's got a lot of stuff to think about. And so his main concern isn't making sure everyone knows what's going on. It's getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, which is either one is a legitimate answer, I guess. Um, just kind of a curious factor or situation. Yeah. Um, and then, so sort of the last thing, uh, decision, I guess you could call it. Uh, well, there's actually two more things. So with Boomer mm. and this sort of interrogation, I guess you could call mm-hmm. it. Um you know, I mean, he asked her a couple of questions, you know, um, but is really just there to slap her around. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you don't get that there's any, like, he's going in there clearly wanting to beat on her a little and right. then kill, kill. Right. Like, right. that's, I, like, this is definitely not Commander Ty, the, you know, encourager and yeah. whatever. <laughs> this is, this is vengeful Ty. Right. You, you killed my best friend and, right. you know, or tried to kill whatever. And you're a Cylon and you're a traitor and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but, of course, the, the big decision here being that he ends up not killing right. Um After a flashback. Right. Like a, another brief flashback. Presumably, in my mind, you know the reason he doesn't kill her is because he knows Adama wouldn't. Right. And wouldn't want him to. And and so again, this becomes, you know, again, in the context of he's making all these other decisions opposite of what Adama would make, like this becomes an interesting one then again because it's clearly something that he makes a decision because Adama would want him to make this decision. Yeah. Or would make this same decision on his own. So yeah, I don't I don't know if you have anything more to add about the boomer stuff, but that's just sort of the thing that yeah I think about there. Uh, not so much with Ty. The only other thing with Boomer is um, the way that when they have her starting out, you know, they have her when she sort of you know comes to sort of out of her like trance or whatever she was in. You know, they have her saying, um, you know, what what happened, what's going on. You know, and then she kind of realizes and gets sort of dragged off. But it's that kind of idea, again, of, you know, her going, whatever that means for her Cylon nature, she's not fully aware of her, you know, uh, actions. You know, and she's sort of, whatever that meant, she's coming to and realizing what she's done after she's done it. So even though it doesn't go too much into boomer in this episode i think that's an important you know reminder um but she's not necessarily the intentional 
assassin that she still has this sort of semi-programmed sleeper agent aspect to her. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't really have a name to add to that. Okay. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to bring up is Rosalind mm-hmm. uh, and Ty and the the brief yeah. exchange. Yeah, there's not really much have. to go on. <laughs> um, so this is so when he when Ty is releasing Lee and they sort of have their agreement, you know, Lee says, "Okay, I'll," you know, Lee sort of still miss you know he, he's mr diplomat right like yes you know here are the things we agreed to we have this accord now i will go fight for you and then return to my cell when i'm done and i promise not to incite any mm-hmm. you know rebellions blah 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 and then on his way out um he explicitly i would say that he's throwing it in ty's face a little bit maybe mm-hmm. you know calls Roslyn madam president mm-hmm. And then, you know, walks out. Yeah. Um, then Rosalind, you know, says to Ty, you know, once once you find the fleet. Oh, she does say once you find the fleet. So I guess she does know at least. Okay. Not not having been in the CIC. Right. Somebody um, she, informed. She her. says, Once you find once you find the fleet, I'd like to have a word with you. I I mean I would assume that Ty explained the situation. Right to Lee and she overheard it. That would be my guess, mm-hmm. but I don't think we see that. So. No, I don't think so. Um, and then Ty's response is, there's nothing to talk about. You went up against the old man and you lost. And so this is, this is never. This is never Ty. Right? Yeah. This, is, this is never Ty. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, no, we, we want you to be more willing to work with the civilian government mm-hmm. because while you may be good in a military crisis, good God, if you ever like right. are in control of everyone and everything, right. like that's not what anybody wants. Well, except maybe you and Ellen, but right. Um, right. yeah. So very disturbing exchange there given. Yeah. I mean, I know we know what happens with Adama, mm-hmm. but given that we don't really know in the moment of what's happening with the Dama, like right. that's not, not like we, we would hope for more understanding Ty who forgives Gaeta right. and says he has trust in his work right. and that kind of, that we, we want that time right. in this moment, no, but we don't get that time and it's a here. Good, it's a good point is, okay, you do end up in this episode with two alternatives which are not completely settled one way or the other, at least for until Adama is made somewhat better, Ty will be in command. And so now you have, you know, Ty on the one hand who stepped up, who was Adama's, whether or not he showed signs of it, was Adama's protege and is growing and flourishing in this role. And then you have never tie over there who you know uh yeah who falls into the same destructive and self-destructive behavior that we've seen up until now and you know although i think you know a good tie wins in general in this episode uh i think that's an interesting sort of place to leave the character going forward and you're not quite sure uh, which is the real tie 
you know, where, which is he really deep down and without, you know, Ellen or Adama kind of influencing him one way or the other. Um, and which one will win, you know, in, if it comes down to conflict, you know, in, you know, the story and everything. So. Yeah. Um, and so we get that near the end then when, you know, once Adama has been fixed, so to speak, you know, bleeding stopped and, and at least in as stable a condition as mm-hmm. uh, Ishe can make him, um, we get tied. And, and once, you know, they found the fleet, like everything's done, we made it through. Yeah. So we think, except with except for the little matter of the heavy raider that right. you know landed and is full of Cylons right. that they don't, know, don't about know about yet. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, except for all that, like everything's sort of taken care of, and so he goes and visits Adama, mm-hmm. and um, you get that thing of he's not happy with the stuff that he's had to do. Right. And he says to Adama, you never should have brought me back in the service. If you just let me be, I'd have died back there in Caprica along with everyone else and, I'd, and been happier for it. I don't want to command. I never did. Don't you dare die on me now. And so with, with this, like, again, we see that Ty has been pulled along all along, you know, by Adama. Mm-hmm. And now he's drifting on his own. And he did a pretty good job. Like, it's not that he can't do it, but he says, I don't want to do it. I never did. So that's interesting Mm -hmm. just because that's like, why would you be second in command if you don't want to be first in command? Mm -hmm. Like, like that's the point of the second in command is that if the first in command can't do their job, then it's up to you. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it kind of brings into question like, what's he there for then? Because even like based on those flashbacks, like after all these years, he still doesn't have a plan. Yeah. Other than I'm just following Adama mm-hmm. at this point. And so again, not to say that he can't act well in an emergency, because yeah. he does he does very well. Yeah. Like, you know, in commanding and getting BSG back safely to the rest of the fleet and you know able to protect them now and all of that like he he does a good job but he doesn't want it he doesn't want to do that job and is it is it because he doesn't really think he can do it even though he just proved that he can at least in an emergency or is it is it that he knows he can he just doesn't want to and if so what does that say about him as a person right and what does that say for everybody depending on him you know you know because first in command he is now you know uh the guy in charge of everybody you know responsible Mm -hmm. for everybody so um Mm -hmm. speaking of which if we can shift I don't think we can we have to talk too long about the other uh oh, plots yeah. We've of this got episode. other people 
talk about. But I do want to just touch on them briefly, although I think there's more probably in, in future episodes, so we don't have to go too deep into it. But, you know, I think we're given a great example of, you know, the dangers of incompetent leadership to those underneath them over on the COBOL, you know, plot of things, yeah. which is maybe a little cautionary tale for, uh, you know, what's going on with Ty of what happens when you have a guy right. in charge who either isn't equipped for it or doesn't want it or doesn't want to think about what he's doing or take advice from the people under him who are the ones, you know, who might not be in charge, but are the ones who have, you know, doing the hard work in the trenches, you know, so you've got, you know, crash down who we saw hints of it before, but is making uh, poor command decisions and steamrolling over any of Tyrrell's practical points and suggestions and people are dying for it, you know, um, not just uh, Socinus, who's the one burned and and waiting for the medicine that got left behind because he didn't want to stop and check, you know, crash down, didn't want to check that they had everything. But also then uh, Tarn, who's the guy who goes and gets shot trying to get the med kit, which, you know, crash down sends him back to get. Um, so yeah, he's, he's making bad decisions, but other people are suffering for it, you know, mm. which I think is the tough part. Um, you know, he certainly doesn't want to take responsibility. It's, it's not like, you know, and that's a good contrast to Ty. I just thought like, whereas Ty, even though, you know, Gaeta didn't, you know, made the actual mistake of not sending the coordinates, Ty takes responsibility for that as I should have checked before we left. And it didn't matter if somebody else overlooked something, it was my responsibility, you know, to make sure. And that's exactly the opposite of what Crashdown does, you know, is, you know, we have to double check. No, we don't have time. And then when they realize they forgot something, he says, well, you forgot it. So you go back and get it, you know, and he doesn't take any responsibility and he sends back the guy who's relying on him so that he can go, you know, be in danger and get shot. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah. Crashdown, who I think is generally likable, mm -hmm. like up to this point, mm -hmm. just he does, he he's definitely in some ways very much the opposite of Ty in that he's not good in a right uh a emergency so yeah yeah i don't i don't know <sighs> very frustrating that whole situation because i mean not that we always see everything but like at least there's nothing in the episode that we can point to to confirm that he ever said anything about medkits let alone you know told tarn to Right. You know, get both of them. Right. <laughs> or whatever. Um, and yeah, like, yeah, just a very crappy situation. Um, at least he listens to Tyrrell as far as not sending Tarn back on his own. But mm -hmm. at the same time, like, the result for Tarn is, ends up basically being the same. 
right you know one way or the other and that he's dead and now right. you know you have Cyril and Callie put in danger as well right so. right um yeah we don't I mean we don't know at this point how that storyline resolves um but anyway um on to Caprica mm-hmm we have Hilo and Sharon and Starbuck basically also picking up right where we left off. Uh, I mean, we don't see that much with them, but it's basically a lot of yelling, Starbuck threatening to kill Sharon. Hilo steps in between them so that Starbuck would have to kill him first. Right. She says men are stupid. Uh, Sharon runs off steals the Cylon Raider and Starbuck is surprised for some reason by this. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I feel like that's all pretty straightforward. Like, yeah. Pretty, I think understandable on all accounts. Um, yeah. Kind of. We already, we already, from each of them. Yeah. We already know that Helos, you know, has had now, you know, like now we have it confirmed that like, Starbuck even knew about Hilo's feelings right. for Sharon before. So you can definitely understand her standpoint from a outsider's, so to speak, perspective of like, oh, now now there's a second copy of Sharon that Hilo can have all to himself. So you can sort of understand if he's sort of always been pining for her, why this might be an attractive option for him. Yeah. Um, and of course, like Sharon's not visibly showing any sort of pregnancy, so you can understand Starbuck being really pretty extremely skeptical yeah. of of that uh, assertion at this point. Like, not something that can be confirmed. Um, so, uh, yeah, and certainly you can understand Sharon running away because she doesn't want to have Starbuck kill her. So, yeah. I, I feel like that's all much more straightforward than any of the rest of it. But Yeah. Nope. I'd agree. Okay. So anything else that we missed or should we move on? No, I think I think, I think we, we about did it. <laughs> Alright. So Buffy. Um I want to just kind of go through this one sort of chronologically through the different, uh, much like we did with Ty, it really all relates back to Buffy in this episode and her sort of development. So I kind of want to go through the different stages of her uh, process of trying to figure out what next means and what uh, she should, you know, be getting out of all these different suggestions that she's given. Um so first we start off with she's returning from her meeting with Angel. So um, same as with him, uh, you know, we don't get to hear the her side of, you know, what happened that's kept private and everything. Um, she just says that it was intense. Um, so you're kind of left to your imagination. Um, yeah. And yeah. uh so yeah, so she comes in and there's this kind of scene of what they've all been up to while she's been gone. And there's still that sense of uh, 
things moving on without her. You know, it's sort of like, it didn't occur to me till just now, but it's sort of like now that she had that period where she was dead for several months and life kept going. Now, when she leaves, people just sort of carry on. You know, there's not a sense of wait until Buffy comes back. It sort of, things keep moving and, you know, people keep talking and making decisions even when she's not there. So there's a definite sense of her walking in almost interrupting a conversation about herself or at least in the sense of having missed something. Um, you know, they've, yeah. they've eaten dinner. They didn't wait or didn't, you know, figure how long she might be. And so they kind of went on. And even the way they say, you know, there was some discussion in your absence about what you're going to do now, you know, and she picks right. up where with the question of where they left off is, oh, here's my plan to take care of the bills, like in the, you know, the financial discussion we were having. But, you know, Giles says, I meant with your life. So right. kind of galling to realize they're all having discussions about her life without her present. Um, you know, but again, that seems to be kind of expected that's sort of what they've adjusted to you know they're not necessarily expecting to wait for Buffy to have these sorts of discussions um you know they're just sort of carrying on having them without her and she just happens yeah. to be absent at the moment um yeah so yeah which is frustrating <laughs> to right. say the least yeah i mean yeah i i certainly like, cer from buffy's I, I point can get of view that. anyway from buffy's point of view right right yeah no certainly there and there is that sense of like hey i was just dead and now i'm not like could you give me give me a, a minute yeah time? yeah and and certainly like the episodes up until now um, have been just one thing after another, like, yeah, you know, problems with the house, problems with money, you know, n you know, now you're asking me what my long-term life plans are. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not even done with the money stuff. Yet. Right. Like, right. and I just figured out what we're going to eat for dinner, yeah. which apparently you guys have already done. Yeah. So yeah. Um, definitely there is no sense of like rest, you know, mm -hmm. for the weary kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I can understand what you're saying, like about it would be frustrating at the same token. I, I think it's an interesting contrast though, just as far as like, like this is the first season where Buffy is not the one sort of in charge. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I guess in season one, you have like Giles being Mr. Watcher mm -hmm. and sort of giving her instructions. But I think a lot of that first season even is showing how different Buffy is and doesn't really pay attention to what Giles always says, right? right. Like it's, it's about her being her and kind of doing what she wants and, you know, kind of her decision whether or not to accept Slayer responsibility. And, but then after that, it's always like, Buffy's the slayer, and yes, Giles might be the watcher here and there, and 
you know, give guidance, but it's Buffy the one making the decision, Buffy the one doing the fighting, Buffy, you know, is the leader of the Scoobies, you know, in name and fact. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, now all of that's been taken away. Like even, even from like, you know, season four where you have like the team kind of disbanding and then coming back together, you know, Buffy's still sort of the main one there, you know, and in season five, she like certainly is like, you know, yeah especially like after her mom dies, like she's taking on all these more and more responsibilities. Right. So, so a lot of what we've seen so far is that loss of control. Like, like you said, like she died and the world moved on. If I could steal a phrase from Stephen King's dark tower series, (laughs) Um, you know, like that, that thing of she's, she's, in a way she's still living or thinking that she's living in a world that doesn't exist anymore Mm. for her, you know, like, yeah, people aren't waiting around. They're doing their own thing, whatever that thing is, you know, presumably Don's going to school and stuff and like, doesn't really need Buffy. I mean, we saw like, like there was that, you called it the Stepford moment of Buffy, like making her yeah. lunch or whatever and handing it to her. But like, that doesn't seem to be happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Like Dawn is probably just taking care of herself at this point, mm-hmm. like making her own sandwiches or something. And, you know, I'm not, I, you know, Willow and Tara are off in their own, you know, college life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Giles and Anya are doing their things. Andrew's doing his thing at, the construction site, which, you know, we get to see bits of all those things yeah. in this episode, but none of them are Buffy's thing. Right. Um, and even, even when we get to Spike, like who says, Oh, I know what your thing is. It's, you know, the dark underworld where you can punch lots of people and whatever. That kind of turns out not to be Buffy's That's thing. That's not either. quite right either. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it is that sense of it's, it's a different sense from season four where they are all off going, doing their own thing, but there is a sort of similarity too. It's just, it's a lot more adult and like, like everyone, it's like everyone else is more focused. Yeah. And she's the one who's not at this point. So. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think it, it, it continues that thing from the last episode of, even though, they're technically still college age. It's sort of like we've moved beyond college uh, concerns, you know, and it continues. All right. We worried about the house. We worried about money. Now we're worrying about like a career, like a direction. What are you supposed to do with your life? You know, because, you know, we'll talk about college. She kind of starts there, but it's not totally clear that that is where she'll continue or that that's the right fit for her. So the question yeah. then becomes, what happens and, after school? Um, and there, you know, I mean, Buffy basically dropped out of college, right, right at this point. So, but Willow and Tara didn't. Right. Like, they're, they're upperclassmen now. So it is, I mean, they are more mature. Like, this isn't 17 or 18-year-old, you know, going right into college. These are 20-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And you've been 
adults officially now for like a couple of years. Right. Like, <laughs> and, and while, yeah, that might not still be real old, like, you know, it is, uh, you know, there a couple of years makes a big difference at that age. And, and yeah. definitely they're thinking about different things and thinking even just in different ways than they were even just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So it works as a pretty good metaphor for the week, I think, of this idea of trying to find your your thing and trying different things, none of which really feel uh for a lot of people I think not everybody but that's the experience is you try things that don't necessarily feel right and you're sort of at least for a little while in your young adulthood you have this period of lack of you know focus or direction um Mm. yeah and um uh what's the great line that the kind of they sum it up the trio sum it up is you know why is the slayer here anyway She's a student, she's a construction worker, and now she's some sort of selling stuff person. And then Warren says, it's like she's completely without focus. Like, they've hit the nail on the head of, yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, And that's what it feels like, um, you know, to people that, a lot of people that age. Um, So, yeah, so I wanted to kind of go through the different things one by one, because... For each one she tries, you know, there's a kind of potential path that she's looking into that doesn't fit. And then there's also, you know, a, a test from one of the trio along with it. Um, so, yeah. So first she tries going back to college uh, with Tara and Willow. Um, and. And not even, like, college, college, but she's just auditing. Just uh, Yeah, like, just sitting in a classroom quietly. Um, but, of course, she goes to, like, whatever with Willow, like, advanced social something or other. I don't even remember what yeah. the name of the class is. But it's all this very... Yeah. Like a 300-level sociology class or something. It's all this very, very highfalutin theoretical academic jargon, you know, about constructed realities and objective and subjective perception and all these things, Um, you know, which uh, isn't necessarily Buffy's jam to begin with, you know, and, uh, but it's very clear that it it is Willow's, you know, I think that which is what makes it worse. It's not just that Buffy doesn't feel like she can keep up. It's that everyone else around her seems to be keeping up and is into it and understands and follows along with what, you know, the teacher is saying and everything. Um, so yeah, that kind of puts the kibosh on the, you know, the, the school plans. She sort of dips her toe back in and doesn't really seem that inclined to keep going. Um, but along yeah. with that, we get, uh, is it Warren's test first? Um, yep. Which includes the time skipping. You know, so he, they have this van, which they set up. Um, which, okay, before we get into this specific incidents and everything, just more generally, um, I don't know if we talked about it last time or not, but I feel like we have to bring it up, is the intense um you know geekiness of you know the trio 
um, you know, they're, they're kind of positioned as, you know, geek villains and, you know, their, their geekiness is sort of part of their badness. It's sort of, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all the worst, you know, it's some of the kind of, Hey, we're both geeks talking here. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you skew that direction. You know, I'm certainly not. Maybe a little, maybe a little bit, yeah. I'm not, uh, I don't want to suggest more than I mean by it, but, you know, they kind of are this, you know, example of all the worst parts of that particular subgroup. Let's put it that way. You know, it's, it's the pedantic arguing, you know, over like who the best who the James best James Bond is, Bond is yeah. you know, and you know, or or the multiple references to like episodes of TV shows that have time loops and yeah, them, you know, like yeah, no, it's it's the it's the it's the obsessive and and pedantic sort of you know part of that rather than you know it. it Again, and, and I think geek culture can do, do this sometimes. It's rather than the the positive enjoyment of something, it's the kind of negative bickering and infighting about you, ranks are, and lists and which is better than what and what that says about you. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, these are the geeks about whom harassment policies are written for conventions. Like, you know what I mean? Like These are the geeks uh, out there uh, railing against Ghostbusters, you know? Um, right. And, and harassing Leslie Jones, you know, on, uh, on Twitter right now. Right. You know, that's, this is who they are. Um, and misogyny is part of that, you know? And yeah. you see that in their attitude towards, you know, the, 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 the women they look at doesn't seem like they have a lot of interactions with women you know but they kind of have opinions about them well, and are willing to mess with their lives you know so and 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 the conflicting feelings are about right. that right like because because part of the whole as we learned um you know from their you know whiteboard of you know world domination like part of what they're aspiring to is chicks 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 right, right? like right you know but it's it's that thing of like how do you get that well it's by dominating the strong woman and putting her in her place kind of thing. Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, all the things that go along, you know, the, the kind of immature, you know, crude humor and, you know, homophobia of like, you know, giggling (sighs) over jokes about magic bones and that kind of thing. Like, you know, it's like, they're, they're funny, you know, but it, 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 it is a very specific type that they're skewering here, which is interesting. It's interesting in a genre show, you know, there's a segment of your sure. viewing audience that might identify with this demographic, you know, um, maybe, maybe and, I think Buffy skews more feminist because of the, the, the hero and everything, but you know, like the people writing and, and watching this show are not so far away from these guys, you know, and so, so yeah, so a couple things real quick, because um, one might not be that far off from like, the creator of the show's own teenage geekery, yeah. or whatever, you know, yeah. 
Um, and also interesting too, because this episode is, of course, and and even these characters, as we've talked about before, written by Jane Espenson, mm-hmm. right? Like these are characters either that she created or you know sort of pulled out of oblivion mm-hmm. to give more life to, right. and and this is the life that she's giving them you know, as right. the writer of this episode. And, yeah. um, you know, certainly the fact that it's being, and, you know, I, you know, again, like Joss and Marty Knox and I'm sure had right. information and input into the episode and the story and stuff, but, you know, it's, it's Jan Espenson who's, who's sort of writing these. And so just interesting that these, are, these are the characters who are, I mean, let's let's talk about it. Like they're mm-hmm. being kind of set up as the big bad of the season, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, or big bads. How like however you want to look at it, is like the big bad, the trio, like them combined, or right. are they sort of like individually, whatever? Um, and the other aspect of that being that they are kind of effective. Like, sure. they're not they're as stupid and geeky as they are. Yeah. Like they're they're not wholly uh they're not wholly ineffective. Like yeah, I mean she Buffy sort of overcomes each of their different tests and it's kind of funny to see Jonathan as a demon get beat up by right. a drunken half kick. Right, right. You know, and he like hurts all over because of it. But you know, as Warren sort of points out at the end there they do kind of get a lot of information and data about her abilities and capabilities and yeah. uh, even her weaknesses that they can then go on you. So, you know, it's that thing of like, okay, in one sense we may have failed, but in another sense we win by knowing more now. And, and in an episode, in a podcast episode that we're talking all about focus, like, there's the contrast is of course that they are actually quite focused Mm -hmm. in this, like they're very being very uh, sort of focused and, and regimented in their testing of her. And uh, just think about like, you know, season two or three, would you, or even one or whatever, like, would you have ever thought of Jonathan mastering enough magic to create a time loop or, make himself look like a demon right you know like no right (laughs) um right and the other two we haven't known as long but um you know they you know we've already seen warren's sort of technical capabilities which seems to be like you know he creates this like little miniature quote inhibitor Mm -hmm. whatever that is but you know like like that's it like it's you know a small piece of tech which tech is his thing and you know andrew Andrew's thing seems to be like summoning demons or whatever. Like I, I don't really know. Yeah. Like uh, it's not magic in the. It's sort of invocational mm-hmm. magic versus like the, the, more sort of like natural right. magic. Incantational. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, and um, that's a good point. Like, which I think to extend the the metaphor a little bit, like. Yeah, as villains, they can come across as kind of silly and not that threatening, but they can do a lot of damage. And you see, like, you know, these, you know, uh, types of people, you know, 
they're not necessarily out there, you know, physically doing the most damage, but the kind of damage that can be done, you know, through the internet or through, you know, technical means or whatever, um, can be very, you know, widespread. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, they're definitely not, uh, to be sort of ignored, especially cause now we're, you know, two episodes and it looks like they're going to come back again. So yeah, it is kind of setting them up as, you know, so far, at least the main sort of, you know, antagonist that we've seen. And, you know, I do find it interesting. Um, like you said, Joss is still involved in, you know, the show. So I don't want to take away credit from him where it's due, but you know, it is interesting that these, this is kind of Jane Espenson's, you know, uh, story that she's creating and it's under the direction of Marty Knoxon, you know, as you know, the, the, right. the showrunner, you know, show you runner, now yeah. kind of, and I think Jane Espenson has already like written a bunch of episodes, like more than usual this season. Um, and so, well, so yeah, she's written the last three episodes. That's three. That's a lot. The, the, yeah. Yeah. She wrote Afterlife Flooded, which she co-wrote with Douglas Petrie and then co-wrote Life Serial, this episode, with David Fury. So, yeah. you know, definitely, yeah, yeah. just uh, of the five episodes so far, she's written yeah. or co-written three, three of them. them. So you have now the, you know, these two women at the kind of most central positions in terms of the creative direction of where the show's going. Very interesting that it's, you know, a bunch of misogynistic geeks that are now cropping up as, you know, potentially the, the big bad of the season. Um, mm -hmm. Don't find that now that yeah. I know that I don't find it surprising at all, but it's very interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, the last two episodes being the one, the ones where the trio are introduced and sort of given their yeah. dynamic and, yeah. you know, uh, at least with Andrew, like we, you know, again, we've already seen Warren, who Jane Espenson created basically as a character. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she's responsible for that. And we've already seen how she sort of lifted Jonathan up from the relative obscurity <laughs> of his character, you know, she and, gave him the power that he's now abusing. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, just to be able to sort of flesh those all out even more and, and kind of give them subs substance as a group mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, I won't, you know, I won't go more into like how that, fleshes out throughout the rest of the season but it's it's certainly something it's certainly notable like that she's yeah doing that much yeah um interesting so good i'm glad we talked through that because i've wanted i feel like that kind of gets at sort of what they are getting at as a overall sort of idea um but i do want to go through the specific things so um so yeah, we talked about Buffy audits one class and then, mm -hmm. uh, you know, anonymous dude sort of bumps into her who we see is, you know, Warren and sticks, you know, his little inhibitor chip thing on her. Um, 
which causes time to sort of skip forward rapidly for everybody else, not for her. Or maybe she skips forward. It's not clear. Um, yeah. One or the other. The, I don't know how much we need to go into yeah. talk about the dynamic of it, but it is, it's definitely weird because it's scary. Seem it's to effectively be... scary. Like I can imagine, you know, this yeah. idea of you alone are stuck and everything is rushing by you, which is a nice kind of metaphor, I guess. Everybody's ahead of you, you know, and you're kind of lagging behind, but sure. anyway, um, with what you're saying. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, like, the trio seems to be watching her in her time. Though. Right. So, it like, it it's not entirely clear how the mechanism works or whatever. And, like, why, like, people are going by so fast, mm -hmm. like, next to her. But, like, she would be effectively standing still. So, why are they bumping into her when they, like, see her and go around her kind of thing? You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, there's some of those, like... If, if I'm criticizing <laughs> the uh, implementation of BSG technology, like I feel like it's worth yeah. at least mentioning that there's some criticism there maybe to be had. Like sure. it, the, the full implications weren't necessarily thought through. Um, or like, why would Tara just abandon her at the water fountain? Like if she's been standing there for 20 minutes, you know, right. like right. staring into like space. that yeah. doesn't seem like something that Tara would do. Right. Um, from like a character perspective and, and all of that kind of thing. So I don't know. I mean, maybe not huge deals, you know, like you said for BSG, like it doesn't bother you. Maybe this didn't bother you as much. It, I, I know. I certainly notice it whenever I watch this episode and, yeah. and it does bug me a bit. No, but. I think in the cases of both shows, I certainly noticed both of those issues, but you know, I, I think I, uh, tend to kind of shrug and move on, um, you know, but not. Whereas I'm a stick in the mud. And <laughs> I can't I didn't want to say it, but um, yeah. So I mean, I yeah, they don't necessarily get into the dynamics of it, um, but no, nah, I mean, it is what it is. Um, at least with Buffy, you can say it's magic. You know, that's the one thing you can't do so much with sure. the BSG. Um, so it has... It's space magic. It's space magic. <laughs> uh, it, it certainly has that going for it, I think. You know, there's a certain amount of hand-waving that can be done. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I'm not sure how much more I have to say about that in particular, really. Um, All right, four. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so school yeah. now, you know, kind of lost the taste for that. Not really too excited about getting back in. So she starts to think, okay, what jobs are there? So Xander has a job, so, you know, she can go along with him and, you know, he can get her a job at his construction site. Um, yeah. Where, where he seems to be like the site supervisor. Yeah. Like, like he's, he's, you know, like even more than just the foreman, he's like, he's moving up a step above. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and, you know, is in his little Xander way, kind of, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily always take the highest road. You know, he kind of points out no. all the favors that he had to pull and what trouble she's going to get him in if she does anything weird. And, and it's sort of like, all right, Xander, 
how did how did you think it was gonna go you know <laughs> kind of sure. maybe seen this coming that she would you know stick out a little bit and you know there's always a potential for demon attacks and stuff um yeah but yeah you know in any case i do understand that he is going out of his way and that you know his own job is on the line so you know uh that counts for something but you know uh construction not so bad a fit you know she lifts heavy things really well um a little too well so you know it kind of goes okay until they're telling her to slow down and do less of a good job so that they don't like run out of work to do yeah we get paid by the yeah come on um yeah and you know the real problem is uh andrew you know he comes in with test number two which you know he's he like you said sort of conjures or calls up a bunch of demons who attack who nobody else you know sees so she looks like she just flipped out for no reason and beat up half the crew um you know uh it's probably her time of the month is what one of them says right right Um, this is right this is what all women do when they're right 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 so the question the the problem becomes not what buffy is capable of doing but you know uh what kind of what a poor fit for the you know for the work crew she is you know that you know she doesn't it's not that she can't do the work in fact she lifts you know everything faster and better than everybody else but it's you know that she doesn't she's a freak she doesn't fit in um and it's it hurts the egos of the men sure right like none of the men want to admit that a little woman save or a little girl or whatever they call her, you know, save them. Right. 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 Can't, can't have that. Right. So, you know, big, tough construction workers need to, you know, be able to sort of front and, you know, make sure that their, their egos aren't affected in any way. Yes. Yeah. So that is the end of the construction work. Um, So then she goes to the magic box where she previously had said she did not want to go because she'd rather be dead again. Again. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, we get into, you know, a very funny, uh, you know, little satire on what it's like to work in retail, Um, you know, and which is not too far from the truth. Um, You know, specific, I mean, you start with, it's bad enough right on its own you know she didn't really want to do it in the first place and then you've got giles you know uh sage wisdom that he's passing on which i love that every time he does it it's slightly different than before but basically the same and you know the little mannerisms of cleaning his glasses and everything um are just you know very funny but it's no more profound than it was the last time he just keeps giving her variations on the same advice Um, you know, and Anya with, you know, her, uh, lectures about the exciting world of, you know, the exciting fast paced world of retail, (laughs) uh, inspiring to herself, but maybe not to anybody else. It sounds like a very corporate sort of introductory training video 
sort of. Right. Yeah. On your first day, here's the, the video, you know, your orientation video you get to watch. Um, so yeah, those things are kind of not ideal on their own, but then you get, uh, Jonathan's bit of magic to make time repeat. You know, she has one repeating experience with a particular customer and interesting, like, it's not just like a thing to his is most of all of them. It's the most like an actual challenge. Like it's not just an annoying thing to mess her up. It's like, she has a goal. She just doesn't realize what it is. And you know, she'll be released from the spell when she successfully, you know, makes a sale and pleases the customer, you know, but of course it's, you know, an impossible scenario, you know, the, the customer is, you know, very rigid in what she wants and the mummy hand is like unable, she can't get it without damaging yeah. it and everything. Um, right. So you have this experience of it repeating endlessly. Um you know, and that is a funny section that like her gradual realization of what's going on and the way she anticipates things. So it moves a little faster each time. And, you know, by the end, she's giving the guy the candle without being asked and, you know, um, you know, going up to like assault the customer, like you're the reason this is happening, you know, um, yeah, which, you know, anybody I think who's done retail or service will understand that feeling of time repeating endlessly with minor variations. Um, and the feeling of the unpleasable customer too. Very mm. relatable. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so ultimately she figures out a way to sort of get around, like, She's just testing stuff out. Like, she doesn't really know right. what's going to work. And then she sort of has a brilliant idea of, like, figuring out the loophole of yes. kicking the can down the road, so to speak, of just like, oh, we'll order one and have it delivered to your house. <laughs> like, Right. Well, and and remembering the clue that Anya gave her before, because that's part of Anya's training is, here's where you special order things in this binder. You know, and so when she... It takes her a while, but eventually she remembers, ah, I can special order. Um, so that turns out to be like, you know, the thing that uh, gets her out of it in the end. Um, but that seems to have cured her desire to work at the magic box. Um, you know, especially when you get the kicker of Anya taking the shipping out of her paycheck and everything. <laughs> right. That was the like last she hasn't. She hasn't even work long enough to like pay for the ship right right yeah that's like you know she'll be paying that off for the next day or two or whatever but um yeah so uh you know a job in a store uh selling stuff as they put it is not really for her so she's that's it for the suggestions of her friends you know that's really what it is is right first she goes with Willow and Tara, then it's with Xander, and then it's with Giles and Anya, and she's out of friends, so she's out of ideas of what else she could do, except for Spike, you know, who she tries out what he does with his time, you know, which is drinking and going to bars and, you know, 
playing, playing poker, poker yeah, for kittens, for <laughs> poker for kittens with some other, you know, kind of not too threatening, but kind of vaguely seedy demons and all the demons are cheating and all of them are accusing each other of cheating and, you know, it goes sort of as you expect and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Spike seems very, you know, we've seen them kind of spending more and more time together this season and he definitely wants to convince her that she belongs, you know, she doesn't fit in all these other things because she belongs with him, you know, uh, mm. in, you know, with the dark, you know, creatures of the night, that sort of thing. Right. Um, which, you know, you kind of get as sort of analogous to a young person sort of hanging out with the wrong crowd, right? It's like, she's like, we don't really see the Scoobies other than beer bad. I feel like drinking isn't really much of a thing in Buffy. Um, at least yeah. that we see, you know, um, but we get her like, you know, binge drinking basically I mean, here, you know, like downing whole bottles of whiskey and going to dive bars and stuff. So this is kind of Buffy's. There's, there's always a question of maybe what's in the cup set, the bronze or whatever, sure. but like, sure. You know, sure, yeah, and but I mean, even that, it's and there's like, parties and stuff, but yeah, like it's not, it's not. They don't no, make like, a big clear. point of it, really. It's you know, I feel like this is other than beer bad. This is the only one we've really seen where it's really made a point of it that there's like, you know, excessive drinking going on. So you know, and you get her like swigging from the whole bottle and. You know, right. they're hanging out in the dive bar. So this is Buffy's version of like college experimentation, kind of trying, you know, different places and crowds and things than she sort of had and, previously. And you even get, you know, after every drink is the, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like, right. like that. She's not really that. Used she's to not. It. Yeah. This is not something that she's has a taste for or is used to doing on like any regular basis yeah um yeah but i mean she even has her limits there she she kind of only really goes because spike convinces her that they're gonna go you know beat up on some demons to figure out who you know is causing her all these problems which they don't do at all um you know right. the only fight is spike wants back up to you know get his kittens and his winnings out of the the card game and everything. Um, yeah. But she, you know, that's not what she came for. And, you know, she kind of rails against him that he was good. You were going to beat heads and fix my life. But uh, he did not do that. Um, so, yeah. Right. So she kind of leaves staggering up the street. And we mentioned her interaction with Jonathan you know who <laughs> is funny I didn't realize that was him at first so when it reveals to be him that's pretty funny um oh the demon yeah and I like that it poofs and they think he's gone but you can kind of see him like running down the street like behind the cloud of smoke like yeah he doesn't disappear it's like you sort of see him in the corner of the frame like trying to get away before they notice him so that's some pretty but they're they're drunk and and 
not yeah they say he banished you know so there's some funny action going on there right after like right after that happens like in that scene when the smoke's still kind of circulating around in front of them um james marsters is like laughing is he oh i miss like you like you can almost like I mean, you get the sense that, like, maybe that was a little bit of a blooper there. That, like, sure. he's kind of just, like, laughing at right. the fact that, you know, yeah. there's a guy in a demon suit running away. Yeah. Um, One of those things where you're like, that's the actor laughing, not not so much the character. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's the way I always took it. Yeah, out, probably. You know? Probably. Well, yeah, because the whole point is that they're not really aware enough to see him running away like even though we can kind of see him just vaguely behind the smoke they kind of aren't really noticing that um so yeah then she i guess to kind of finish up she comes back uh you know uh purges herself in the bathroom for a little while comes out and uh has a little chat with giles um who kind of tells her not to be too hard on herself you know he kind of backtracks from the earlier figure out what you're gonna do with your life kind of discussion um and then hands her a big whopping check um which you know she appreciates um and yeah sad kind of ending there you know because i still notice that Giles remains in the guest credits. So, you know, when Buffy kind of talks about how safe she feels having Giles and his money around, um, you know, uh, you know, when he gets that far away, look like he, he knows, or he's thinking, I don't, you know, he might not be staying for that long. So, uh, Seems to be the, impl- the implication. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, that makes me sad to know that. You know, on the other hand, there is a sense of, you know, Giles staying around to play her parent and handing her bailout money isn't, you know, it may be what she needs in the moment, but is that really going to help her figure out what's next? You know, because mm. what she can really do there is sort of regress to right. feeling like a parent's there. Um, when that's not exactly their relationship. So it's a, it's a temporary fix. It's not a solution to the problem. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the question, of course, is also like, where does Giles get that much money to be able to, like, it's clearly a very tidy amount that's going to, like, take care of all the house problems mm-hmm. or whatever, which is fantastic from, like, a sort of storytelling perspective because it helps you solve those types of problems that you've been setting yeah. up all along. Um, I sort of have my theory. I don't know if we ever get, like, a. Mm-hmm. official answer but my theory is that it's from the salary that he's been getting from the watchers council mm-hmm. that he's been saving some of it mm-hmm. up and maybe he's working a different job in england um and stuff and granted like 
you know, he used some of that money from his watch or salary to pay for like, you know, the magic box and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But um, it was Buffy who got him that salary and right. was applied retroactively and stuff. So, like, I could see that being sort of That's the back right. of the head sort of, you know, calculations that he does is, hey, I have this money. And if it weren't for Buffy, I wouldn't. So, yeah. You know, I should help them. And also because he loves Buffy and Dawn and right. wants to help them. But, you know, from the more pragmatic aspect of it, you know, that's that's sort of my own fan, you know, headcanon yeah. stuff. Um, at least I don't think we ever get that particular explanation um, canonically. But. Yeah. No, that that all makes sense to me. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see when he ever approaches yeah. that topic. Um, kind of yeah. awkward now to bring it up. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Right. Right. Especially, I mean, he just came back. So. Right. Right. So yeah. it could be, you know, a while yet. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I certainly don't know. So, um yeah, we'll have to wait and see, and we'll have to wait and see what else the trio have planned. You know, they kind of, they don't defeat or, you know, kill Buffy, obviously, but they, they come out of it with a sense of triumph of, at least we didn't get killed in the process. That seem to, in hindsight, think that that might have been a possibility. So they're kind of <laughs> patting themselves right. on the back now that uh, they they got out of it alive and have tested some of her her abilities and everything um sure so yeah i uh i don't know what kinds of mischief they have up their sleeve next but we shall see all right well we've gone a little bit over but not too bad not too bad so uh yeah we'll be back next week with some more bsg and our next episode of Angel. Okay, see you then.